Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. Coming to you from U.S. Bank Stadium after the Vikings beat the Seattle Seahawks 30-17. to I'm joined here by Ben Gessling and Chip Scoggins of the Star Tribune in the press box. I don't know that I ever thought I'd see the day where we'd start a podcast and you say the Vikings beat the Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> you know what? That probably would have been one of the surest bets that I never would have said that. But everything's got to come to an end, right, Ben? Yeah. How did it happen? Well, it, it looked like it was a situation that was coming to an end, I think, in a lot of ways. I mean, the, the Seahawks did not look like the Seahawks that we've come to expect them to be over the last number of years. This was the eighth time they've played them since 2012. Uh, I think that that was Russell Wilson's rookie year. That was my first year covering the team. So I've been here for every one of these eight games, and this did not look like the same Seahawks team. It, it's the first time... And I just finished writing my game story about this. It's the first time, I think, the Vikings have gotten on the field with this team and had an offense that could one-up Russell Wilson. They've never had that in any of these matchups before. But today, I mean, their, their defense struggled a lot in the first half. But every time they did, they were able to come out and say, you know what, we have what we need to counter all of it and we can take your punches and give them right back. Yeah, it's interesting that Zimmer called this the best offensive performance in his eight years here and did so without Dalvin Cook. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's a pretty big statement. Yeah, but it um, the quarterback is playing at a really high level. I mean, it, it, there, I mean, he's been criticized a lot, but you have to acknowledge that he's playing. He's not making killer mistakes, no interceptions. He looks really comfortable in Kubiak's system, the fact that he's been in this for a third year now. But just listen to Zimmer and all the uh, teammates come into the press room and talk about uh, a different Kirk. I think Adam uh, Thielen said this is a different Kirk this year, whether it's the way he's playing, his leadership, joking around in the locker room, getting to know guys more. Um, I just think the familiarity and comfort level, you're seeing it the way he's playing. And let's also acknowledge his offensive line has been pretty darn good the last two games, and that's that's where it starts. Yeah, Ben, you wrote about Kirk for Sunday's paper here going into this game, just about how kind of everything was revolving around him and him playing so well, but the wins weren't coming. I mean, did you see what Chip was talking about in terms of Kirk just kind of having that same, it would seem, comfort that he's been playing with for three weeks now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been a couple things. He, he is getting rid of the ball faster, which is – probably two things it's him processing things maybe a little bit more efficiently than he was um and it's I think it's him having trust in the guys he's throwing to I I really think KJ Osborne making the jump that he's made is a big deal having a third guy that you can trust and that you can go to in big spots if Thielen and Jefferson are taken away because the the Seahawks did a fairly good job of at least with Thielen taking him away in the first half so Cousins needed to find other places to go, and it was Tyler Conklin, it was K.J. Osborne, it was Alexander Madison a lot on screen passes. So I, I think he is trusting what he's seeing, he's trusting where he's going with the ball, and that has sped the whole thing up. I, we heard Mike Zimmer talk a lot about that with Kellen Mond, that he needs to play faster. I think Cousins is doing that. The, the time to throw would suggest that, that that statistic has come down quite a bit this year. He's not holding the ball as much, he's not 
you know, sitting there hitching and second guessing things. It, it just, everything seems to be in more of a rhythm. And I think that's a lot of it. And him getting protected is a, is a big deal. We haven't seen that really in his time in Minnesota. Um, some of that is, is probably him. Some of that is him helping himself, I think, but, um, it just it feels like a lot of it is just working more efficiently and working with more of a pace, more of a tempo, more of a assertiveness. I think is probably the big thing. You know, one thing that jumped out to me too is we have such expectations. You have like of what C, uh, Seattle's defense is historically over the yeah. years. Man, that wasn't it. The Vikings receivers were wide open a lot, like right in the middle of the field. There was no one around them, and I, I you know, I don't want to say it's. All the defense being bad, I, mean, I think we have to give the Jefferson and these guys credit for getting open. But man, alive! It, I mean, there's sometimes there's not guys five yards around him. So it is not the Seattle defense that we're used to seeing. That is true. Um, along the lines of Kirk playing more comfortable and, and just seeming to be at ease with knowing his progressions, getting through them quickly, being able to adjust with what defenses throw at him. Chip, you were just saying before the podcast that. This must be like the longest Kirk has been in one system. If we consider the Kubiak from Stefanski to, to Gary to this, because, yeah. I mean, Ben, how many coordinators did he have in Washington over that time? I, I think it was quite a few. Yeah, I think there had at least been a couple of changes in his last couple of years there because it would have been Jay Gruden coming in at 14, I believe he was hired the same year Zimmer was, and I think they changed – at least once, maybe twice in that time before Cousins came here in 18. And it would have gone from the Mike Shanahan thing with like all of the hot coaches in the NFL now with Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur, all on that staff. And then it went to Jay Gruden, so there would have been that switch. And then here it would have been John Filippo to Kevin Stefanski to Gary Kubiak to Clint Kubiak. So, I mean, really – you go the Shanahan thing to Gruden and however many switches there were there to DeFilippo to this iteration of it. And I think now you've, you've been in the same thing for three years. It's very familiar with the Shanahan stuff that he ran early in his time in Washington, which was part of the point of why they did it. So it not only has he been in the same system here three years now, it's stuff that he goes back to the beginning of his career with. So I, I think all that matters too. Yeah, even when it comes to the offensive line, um, uh, Kirk's talking about how Phil Rauscher, the guy who stepped in and replaced Rick Dennison, was the guy who learned from Bill Callahan, who was the line coach in Washington when, when Kirk had spent some time there. So well, all yeah, that kind of stuff comes together. Yeah, and I think like you saw it on this, uh, and I think you got to give a nod to Clint Kubiak. It just feels like quarterback and play caller are in a good rhythm right now. And you go back, you know, Seattle comes down, Scores right away. The scripted uh, series that they came out with, I mean, it was just bam, bam, bam. It was different play screens, um, getting different guys boot. Saw the bootleg on that first. I mean, it just felt like they have a good understanding of what they want to do, where they want to attack, the rhythm they want to call. And it just it, to me, it just feels like when you watch him, it just feels like he has a comfort with what he's doing right now. And I think that starts with, the personnel, but also the play caller. Yeah, and, and and to credit Clint Kubiak for what they did in this game, Dalvin Cook is is missing. He's got the sprained ankle. They're without their centerpiece on offense. They, I thought Clint called this game and schemed it out as if he had Dalvin because it starts off with a pitch to Madison who cuts it back up the middle. Then it goes to a screen to Madison, and then Kirk completes his first five or six throws for 62 yards in the score right out of the gate. 
And that, to me, shows that this offense was still trying to go through its backfield. It still wanted to work, especially that screen game where Madison had so much success. Madison gets 171 yards from scrimmage on 32 touches. It's as if Dalvin were still back there. Yeah, and, and, and talk about uh, Cousins' comfort. The third and five pass in the fourth quarter to Osborne where they come on a blitz. Their linebacker has a free run. He's backpedaling. And then he, he he admits after the game he didn't really see him. He just saw a flash of purple. <laughs> um, but it, it, I thought his cousin's answer was interesting. He said, you know, you can look at it two ways. He's like, if you're really trying to protect the ball, that might be a situation to eat it and maybe take the sack. He said, but I trust my guy, and you, sometimes you go on instincts. It just feels like now he's feeling so good about where he's at that he knows he has confidence he's going to make that play. And even though he didn't see a receiver – he throws in, it turns out well. And, you know, a year ago, would that have been an interception or a sack? Maybe. Yeah, and Ben, we know how talented the, the skill weapons are for the Vikings, but where did this come from when in the preseason we weren't seeing this kind of Kirk in training camp or the preseason? And I know they didn't have their full complement of weapons, um, but then obviously with the COVID stuff, like it just was a very rough August heading into this kind of September. Yeah, I don't quite know what switched. I mean, I, I think obviously having Jefferson on the field and, and Cook makes a difference, but they didn't have Cook today. And maybe it's just the time to, to get you know on the same page with these guys. I, I, I'm i not entirely sure It's because it's quite a bit different than it was, and, and maybe he's just had time to get into a rhythm where it's not just a series or two at a time. It's uh, It's been quite a striking difference. And the other thing I wonder now is – if this group keeps playing this way, are we going to see Christian Derrissaw at left tackle anytime soon? I I don't know that. I mean, they, Rashad Hill has not been a, a world beater, but I when the group as a whole is playing well enough, I'm not sure they're going to go in and say, let's yeah, let's flip your left tackle and, and make a big change there. Yeah, they've been kind of guarding against, at least Mike Zimmer seems to have, when he keeps saying it's a process, it's going to be a while, it's a long process, referring to Derrissaw's recovery, but I, that is interesting to, to talk about that in the sense that when they finally have five that can stay on the field together, how, you know, how do you consider upending that, and then who do you consider putting him in against? Well, no, not the way they played the last two games, I don't think you'd disrupt that at this point. You, you'd wait for, wait for the performance to tell you to do it, right? If, if Rashad Hill starts struggling, it's like, okay, you make the switch. But after they played, the, the line's been pretty darn good the last two I thought first half last week, second half was a little rougher. Today, I mean, he didn't really get a whole lot of pressure. I thought they did a nice job. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mess with it as long as it, you feel like it's they're playing pretty well and cohesive. Yeah, I think Rashad Hill is still a guy they have to kind of game plan around. Sure. And, sure. You know, against the Seahawks pass rush that, as you guys talked about, is not the same as we're used to seeing. You can kind of get away with it, but against Chandler Jones in Arizona, for instance, they were really helping him out. And ideally, if you have your franchise left tackle, you don't have to do that as much um, but the Vikings offense just absolutely rolls Cousins 300 plus yards three touchdowns Alexander Madison as we talked about had all those yards out of the backfield um, defensively boy did it look like more of the same out of the gate we see DK Metcalf make catches a 21 28 yards the latter of which helped set up his 10 yard score against Bashad Breland who was backed way off and just kind of let Metcalf walk in there um, but they locked it down after that um, ben, I'm curious to get your thoughts on, on what you saw defensively from that just awful start. That they Well, I mean, they, they talked a lot after the game about some of the substitutions and some of the tempo stuff was kind of throwing them off, and Seattle didn't do as much of that in the second half, probably partially because they were behind. But 
I think the pass rush also did a lot better job of getting home in the second half. And we saw that last week, too. That was kind of when it felt like the game changed is when that pass rush started to get home and Kyler Murray wasn't able to kind of just do what he wanted and, and dictate the game. The The other interesting thing, I think, with Wilson was that was the most reluctant I've probably ever seen him to get out and run. There, there just wasn't as much of that. And, and people talked about that this week, too. But, boy, it does feel like you see the age kind of yeah. starting to come into it there where he's not – just taking off and, and making the same number of plays outside the pocket as he used to. Or maybe the design helped you know, kind of pen him in, but uh, I he think, certainly didn't do as much of that. I think it's more he's gotten older and he just doesn't have the capability as much. I'm not saying he's he's not still capable to do it, but the running around and freelancing like we're so used to seeing, it's just not – it wasn't there today. Yeah, it looked like Kyler Murray playing on – I don't know peanut butter or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of like stuck there. He wasn't – he was not moving as quickly. But we also saw – being back at home with this crowd noise, the effect it can have on the pass rush. And I think their pass rush is going to be good. Any you know that'll travel when you're on the road, but when you're home and you have that split second head start, it, it's a difference maker. Yeah, and this defense, as Ben said, they were able to kind of pin their ears back in the second half. What shocked me, and I had to look this up and triple check it because I didn't believe it. But after Chris Carson rattled off that 30-yard touchdown, the Seahawks gave him the ball three times after that. The rest of the game. That 30-yard touchdown was in the second quarter. And I understand that, you know, you had the Vikings having 30 almost minutes of possession time to end that game. It was 20 minutes, I think it was, or something like that. 22 minutes in the second half. Um, but Carson was just no part of the Seahawks' game plan. Like, they just totally got away from that. And that that kind of shocked me a little bit. I, I imagine the the motto coming out of Seattle this week is from Pete Carroll, and everybody's just going to be, yeah, we got to get back to what we do and run the ball, because they just totally got away from it. Sounds like a mantra we've heard a time or two. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. But that's when they were doing well. There was this in this this whole Seahawks offense, Ben, you you wrote about it and, and asked people about it, about how it's that Rams style where they want to establish the run, do play actions. And when we saw the Vikings struggling on defense, it was Mackenzie Alexander biting on a play action. Oh, that one was bad. And a 39-yarder to Will Disley, the tight end, who just took off and run past Nick Vigil. I saw in the third quarter, and I want to go back and check, but I think the Seahawks ran the same exact play on them. This time, Nick Vigil stuck with Disley, and, and Wilson had to escape and then throw it away. So the Vikings showed defensively that they can still adjust and stop these kind of things, but it helped that the Seahawks just said, we're not going to run it. We're just going to kind of get away from that and just – do you know put this into Wilson's arm and and as Ben said this was the first time that the Vikings said we can outdo you that way which was shocking um it was more missed tackles though from the secondary to start this game how much of a concern is that group and then and then you've got Cameron Dantzler tweeting after the game <laughs> and then deleting a tweet saying uh something about I'm sick of not speaking my mind about he, this situation or something he did like delete that. it yeah. He tired of biting my tongue, I believe. I'll have to check the uh, not a, screenshot here. Not the, that's the spirit of it. Yeah. The, tired the of biting my tongue about to, this whole situation for real. Yeah, the self-awareness <laughs> to tweet that after a win. After a win. It's probably not <laughs> ideal. Uh, I don't think it's going to put him in good graces with his head coach. And No, Breland, I mean, they were obviously picking on him early. Um, but you look at the adjustments in and, and, and the second half and the way the pass rush, and we, I mean, it's cliche, but – Rush and cover. I mean, it goes hand in hand, and you saw that today. Well, and Lockett, they totally shut him down. They were able to find a way to shut him down, even though Metcalf got going early. Everson Griffin was showing some signs of the things he had shown in the preseason, which is good for them as he came back off of his concussion um, to return to this defensive line. Uh, Greg Joseph, the kicker, was not a problem for once. That was good. That was good to see if you're the Minnesota Vikings. He makes all six of his kicks 
and actually outduels Jason Myers, the Seahawks kicker, who had made 36 straight coming into this game before he missed one in the first half. Um, but think about the big picture view of this and how badly this team needed a win. Yeah. And they needed a win anyway, but to play the way they did and win, uh, the temperature goes down about 200 degrees <laughs> versus if they would have lost this game and what it would have been like around uh, that organization. If they're 0-3 and the reigning NFL coach of the year who you let walk out of your building a year before is coming in here with a view to making you 0-4 – yeah, it would have gotten pretty hot. And you've got you've got even Adam Thielen after the game saying, yeah, some of the young guys on our roster were saying, boy, even the Chiefs are losing games. And Adam's putting his arm around him being like, listen here, kid, it's tough to win in the NFL apparently. And he had a good line about how it's not like college where you can pay some team 500 grand to come lose to you. <laughs> <laughs> Except Any examples of that? <laughs> Unless, he, Unless you're you the Gophers. Was calculator or is that just off the <laughs> top of his head? <laughs> Well, the, maybe they were that team. I mean, it, yeah. they were D2, Mankato? so they, oh, they yeah. probably didn't. It's funny because both he and Jefferson were at the podium. <laughs> I'm thinking at the time, LSU your respective paid- <laughs> alma maters would have been on different ends of that transaction. Yeah, I know. LSU would have paid 500 grand to have Mankato come lose to them. Actually, actually, Mankato would have taken a lot less. I don't think you could even do it because I don't think they would have counted as a win toward bowl eligibility, so you wouldn't have even done it. But, yeah, it, it's uh, quite a – Quite an opposing end of the spectrum that those two guys have coming to the NFL. But, yeah, it, it was uh, intentional or not, it was uh, a nice little piece of shade at uh, Andrew and my alma mater. All right. Well, yeah, one and two of the Vikings. It was an elite piece of shade, I should say. <laughs> at one and two of the Vikings are not in the cellar of the NFC North. That belongs to the Detroit Lions who lost in such a Detroit way. Today, such a Detroit way. Baltimore somehow gets that win off of what's a 66-yard field goal. NFL record. Just insane. Um, off the crossbar. Yeah, Vikings 1-2, and two, Lions 0-3. We'll see what the Packers end up at. But it looks like they're going to win this game. So plenty they to talk to about. It. Plenty to talk about as the Vikings prepare to host Kevin Stefanski's Cleveland Browns on Sunday at U.S. Bank Stadium. Please check back on Wednesday. We will have a podcast previewing that game. And check out all of our work at StarTribune.com. Maybe you should get off the podcast.